So, it's been about a week. So where are we? Where are we right now in Revelation? Well, obviously we are in Revelation chapter 8 as we made mention. So let's just make sure we're on the same page with where we are in Revelation 8. Revelation 8, in Revelation 8 the action resumes. Remember chapter 7 was an interlude. And we considered that chapter for a couple of weeks. And in Revelation 8, the action in the book resumes with the breaking of the seventh seal. Now remember, in this book, and it's important to, to always keep this in mind, there are three series of seven. Remember, the number seven is important in the book of Revelation. We've made that point. Well, there are three series of seven that dominate the action in this book. You got the seven seals, which we've already studied. That's Revelation 6. Now we're at the seven trumpets. That's Revelation 8 and 9. And then you got the seven bowls of wrath, which would be the remainder of the book, beginning with Revelation chapter 16. So you got three series of seven seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath. The seven seals, if you remember, give us basically the story of Revelation. It gives us a summary of God's will that's going to be executed on, on the earth. It gives us the outcome to the battle taking place between the army of God and the army of Satan at this time. It gives us the basic story. The seven trumpets, as we're studying now, represents God's warning, warning to the wicked. And then you've got the seven bowls of wrath, which will essentially represent God saying time is up. And God's going to bring about his full judgment on those who refuse to repent. There's also a pattern that is followed in the series of seven, the three series of seven. They seem to follow the same pattern each time. The first four in the series appear to be similar. We saw that even with the breaking of the seals. If you go back and look at the breaking of the seals again, the first four were the same. The first four seals were the similar. They all had to do with, with the gospel and the persecution that followed the gospel, if you remember. The gospel goes out, there is persecution, economic persecution, and then eventually Christians being murdered. The first four were similar. But the next two were always different in some way. They're unique. We saw that also with, the, with seals five and six. Seal number five was Christians saying, how long, God? See, they're dead now, and they're, they're calling out for justice. That's different than the first four. This is a, that's a different scene there. Then the sixth one, the sixth seal, was God bringing judgment. That's different than the first five. The first four were similar. They had to do with the persecution. The fifth one was a picture of God's people in Hades, and the sixth one had to do with God bringing about judgment. First four were similar. The next two were different. And then there's an interlude always. It's always an interlude after the six, whatever, is, is revealed. There's a break in the action between the sixth and the seventh. And the seventh is always transitional. The seventh seal, when it's broken, it leads to what? The seven trumpets. And when the seventh trumpet is blown, that leads to what? The seven bowls of wrath. It's always transitional. So that seems to be the pattern that is used in this apocalyptic book here. The seventh seal moves us to a new series of seven. Now the action will center around seven angels. 
the seven angels who are going to sound seven trumpets. As each one sounds, something very important is going to take place. So we talked a little bit last time about trumpets and what trumpets were all about and how they're used in the scriptures when we study, when we study the scriptures in their totality. So just again, just make sure, we, I know it's been about a week, let's just get on the same page here. We said that trumpets in the Bible sometimes are used for what? Warning, that's right. Now, sometimes they're used to call assemblies together. We made that point, that's right. But other times they're used to warn. They're used to, they're used to warn the prophets. The prophets, particularly in their writings, refer to trumpets as warnings, to be used to warn, to warn the wicked. Uh, see the book of Joel, Isaiah has some of that. It's through the writings of the prophets. God often warns, and this is interesting about God, so I want you to really take this to heart, please. God often warns and gives the wicked time to repent. Have you noticed that before in your Bible? He often does that. And we brought some examples of, of that up last time. The Assyrians, these people were not Israelites. They were not part of God's covenant people in the Old Testament. They were Gentiles. And God used a prophet. The prophet was who? Jonah to go to them and warn them. To warn them, if you don't repent, God's going to wipe you out in this amount of time. And after Jonah, who really didn't want to go, he actually went the opposite direction at first of where God wanted him to go. And after spending some time in the belly of a fish and it vomits you out, that would change your mind. But he didn't want to go initially. And when he went reluctantly and grudgingly to go and preach to these people, what happened? They repented. They repented and they changed and they were spared God's judgment for a time, right? I've always looked at Jonah and, and don't take this the wrong way, but I've always looked at Jonah as the most successful preacher in the Bible. He preaches, you know, he preaches and he saves a whole city <laughs> and he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. But Noah preaches for what, uh, between 75 and 125 years? And how many people get on the boat? And they includes him. So really, he converts seven people. Now, I like Noah because he may not could have saved the world, but he did save his family, didn't he? And that's something that every preacher has to take to heart. You never want to be a preacher that's devoted to saving the world, but you lose your family. Your family is your first responsibility. So, so you got Jonah. Jonah is used by God to warn the Assyrians. Brother Don, go right ahead, sir. Don't forget Nahum. Yes. He preached the same sermon with the opposite result. He preached to the Ninevites. So, and, so it's all about hearts. That's all, now, that's, that's a good point. That's another prophet that was used to warn these people. And think about Israel, right? The prophets often were used by God to warn Israel. Think about Jeremiah. At the, you know, the first part of the book, Jeremiah is, is saying, look, you can be spared this judgment. But it came a point to when the people would not repent of their idolatry that 70 years of captivity was inevitable. Time was up. So the prophets often went to God's very own people and said, look, you're on a bad path. You need to repent or God's going to bring judgment. And then going back to the people of Noah's day, Noah preached 
maybe 120 years, 125 years, seven people get on the boat, the people don't repent, but they had a chance. God gave them a chance. They could, others could have got on there, but they refused to repent. Now, go in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3, because think about us. Think about us today a little bit. You know, is God giving people time to repent today? You, you know, Peter here brings up Noah. And it's some interesting things he talks about here. He talks about how the world was destroyed by God in the time of Noah with water, with a flood. And then he brings that, he brings that forward to us, to God's people under the new covenant. And he says some interesting things about God's judgment, but not just God's judgment, God's patience, God's love, God's mercy. Some of the things that Brother Mike brought up in his lesson this morning. Look at verse number three of 2 Peter. He says, know this first of all, that in the last days, the days of the gospel, the new covenant, you got mockers who are going to come with their mocking, following after their own lust, saying, where's the promise of his coming? Don't you hear people mock that all the time? Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of the creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. He's talking about the days of Noah. But by his word, the present heavens, the present heavens, the, the, the atmosphere, the, the environment we live in now, the universe, are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Now, that's not to be taken literal there. That's hyperbole. And, and Peter's just essentially saying time means nothing to God. It, time is nothing to God. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So my question is, does God still give men time to repent today. Oh, Brother Mitch, go ahead, sir. I'm sorry. Wow. Not, uh, that, that is disturbing. Brother Mitch was talking about uh, somebody, I think, in Portland had a, was holding up a sign that said, if Jesus comes, comes we're going to kill him again. <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, but you know what, Mitch, I think what you're saying there can help, me make, can help me make my point even stronger. So I appreciate you bringing it up. God's patience. I mean, God has to be a patient God, God to not incinerate a man like that, just like that, right? Could God do that if he wanted to? Of course he could. Yes, he has. Uh, but think about this. That man, let's say he's alive today. Mitch said about a month ago he saw that or so. Say that man woke up this morning by the grace of God to have the sun 
shine on him. Is that God's grace upon that man? Is God giving that man today time to repent and make it right? If he's alive tomorrow, is that God again giving him time to repent and make it right? See, even these people who blaspheme the name of God, who curse the name of Jesus, God is still showing them grace every day they are alive and giving them time to repent. Now, you're right. There's going to come a time when their time is going to be up, and it's either going to be when they die or when the Lord comes back, whichever one comes first. But every day they have breath in their body. Guess what? They're given time until the time is no more. And that's the, that's the point I wanted to make, Mitch. That's exactly the point I was trying to make is, is even today with each day that goes by, God continues to exercise patience and give wicked people time to repent. The atheist, the agnostic, the drunkard, the liar, the thief, the blasphemer, the person in religious error, all these people today are, are being given time to repent. Because God, what does Peter say in that verse? God doesn't want what? Any to perish. He doesn't even want that man to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. If people are lost, it's not because of God. It's not because of God's love. It's because of, of them and their lack of love for God. The problem is always us. It's never God. It's always us. So going back to this Roman Empire that we're studying in Revelation, even though Rome was a corrupt and evil empire, God was giving her time. He was going to give her time to repent. The blowing of the trumpets represent partial judgments that God unleashes. He's going to unleash in an effort to try to motivate these people, to motivate these people to repent. Now, remember verses 1 through 4. There is silence in heaven. Remember, there is silence in heaven for a period of time. Seven angels are given seven trumpets. The prayers of God's people go before him. We saw that there. And God hears their prayers. He hears the prayers of his people. The silence probably represents the reverence towards the event. God's about to bring about judgment. The seventh seal being broken is the beginning of God's judgment on the empire. The angels being given the trumpets signifies God giving them authority to carry out his will. The language of verse 3 symbolizes the prayers of God's people. The language of verse 4 signifies God hearing and receiving the prayers. Now, let's go through the trumpets. It's not going to take a long time to do this. Y'all know how I do Revelation. I don't go through breaking down every part. I think that's just going to be a waste of time. We're just going to try to figure out the big picture of what's going on here. So let's go through the trumpets. I want you to follow me here. I want you to stay with me. The blowing of the first trumpet. Look at it. And we read the text last time, so we're not going to do it today. Hope you did it again this past week. The blowing of the first trumpet. Let's go through a list. Somebody tell me one thing you see there. That stands out to you. What happens? What happens? One thing, just give me one thing right now. When the angel blows the first trumpet. Just give me one word. I just want one word. Fire. You got fire. You got fire. Good. What else? Give me one word. Hell. You got hail. Okay. So you got, you got hail and you got fire burn the, the trees and the grass. And that's what the text says. But it doesn't just say it burns the trees and the grass. It's got hell, fire mixed with blood. Remember that. Mixed with blood. But a third of all this stuff is wiped out. Do you see that? A third of the earth is burned up. That's important. A third of the trees are destroyed. A third of the green grass is destroyed. What you have here is vegetation. This is vegetation. Vegetation is destroyed, but not all of it. It's a third. 
it's important to remember that because when the seven bowls of wrath show up later, it ain't a third no more. But now you got a third. The blowing of the first trumpet seems to represent vegetation. Earth, trees, grass. The second trumpet. The blowing of the second trumpet. Somebody tell me what stood out to you there. What, what happens there? And somebody speak loud, loud for me so I can hear you, please, if you don't mind. What happens? Don't be shy. You got more fire. Good. Very good. A great mountain burning with fire was thrown where? Into the sea. Now, let me ask you this. It's in, many of y'all, you, you've taken history classes. You know history well. You, you, you know these things. Is there a moment in history when a mountain was burning up and thrown into the sea, literally? Did I miss something? Obviously, that's not meant to be taken literal, right? There's no historical evidence that anything like that happened literally. Believe me, it would be preserved if it did happen. That's not literal. This is judgment language. This is pro prophetic judgment language. So notice, another third, a third part of the sea, a third part of the sea becomes blood. What happened to the creatures in the sea, according to the text? They died. So you got a third of the sea becoming blood, and a third of the creatures in the sea, they die. And what happened to the ships, according to the text? How many of the ships? A third. Okay, so we got a third part of the sea becoming blood. This affects the creatures in the sea. And then you got the ships that are in, the, in, the, in that part of the sea. They're destroyed. Okay, so just keep in mind here, we got vegetation, all right? We got earth, we got grass, we got trees, third of them being destroyed. We got the sea. We got the ocean being affected, okay? We got ships being affected. We got the, a third of the creatures in the sea being affected. You, first four similar. Always remember that. First four similar. Remember that. Next one, number three. Number three, the third trumpet. Somebody tell me anything that stood out to you, verses 10 through 11. This is verses 10 through 11 of the text. What happened when the third trumpet blows? Okay, so, so a lot of y'all are saying that star stood out to you. A great star. A third part of the land waters. We got a different kind of water now being affected. Third part of the land waters are used as instruments to bring the wicked to repentance. And you're right. You all are absolutely right. This star is a big part. And again, this is not literal here. Remember our guideposts, Revelation 1 and verse 1. These things were signified to the apostle John by the angel. A great star fell from heaven on the rivers and the springs of water. Isn't that what the text says? The star fell on the rivers and the springs of water. Now, where do we get our drinking water from usually? Right here. You going to drink out the ocean? It ain't, ain't going to help you. It's going to hurt you, if anything. You don't do that. 
This is, this is rivers, springs of water. This is the source of water that we use to survive here, the drinking water. Now, you got this star that falls from heaven that affects this water. And the name of the star is what? What do y'all know? What is that about? Anybody do any research on that? Like, what is, what is wormwood? Yes, it's a bitter plant. That's right. And in this case, wormwood, you said it, Gary, it poisoned the water. It made the water bitter. But another way we could say that is it negatively impacted it. It poisoned it. And as a result, what happened to the people who, drink, who drank that water? They died. Okay? So you see what's going on here now. Let's go back to it. The earth, vegetation, trees, grass. We have the sea. The creatures in the sea, a third of them. A third of the ships on the sea. Now we got rivers. We got springs of water. We have people dying when they drink this water that has been impacted by wormwood. The blowing of the fourth trumpet. The blowing of the fourth trumpet. What, what stood out to you there? What happened when it sounds? Okay, darkness covers the earth. Darkness covers the earth. A third part of the sun and the moon and the stars were darkened. Do you remember the ninth plague that came upon the Egyptians? You remember that? Yes. Look over at Exodus chapter 10. Exodus 10, 21. Because I can't help but be reminded of this when we read the text. You know, obviously we know that Revelation is using this strong, prophetic, apocalyptic language. But there was a time in Egypt when, when something like this kind of literally happened as far as darkness goes, right? And in Exodus 10 and verse 21, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. Can you imagine that? A darkness so strong you can feel it. I can't even fathom that. That is crazy. So... Let me ask you this, how can darkness, and I'm talking about literal darkness here. I mean, we can, we can, we're going to say something about spiritual darkness in a second. But let's just talk about literal darkness. How can like, darkness negatively impact a group of people when the sun is not doing what it's supposed to do, moon, etc.? Brother Lance, yes, sir. It, it can get cold really fast. Yes. That, that last statement there, and everything you said there is right on the money, but that, that last statement you said about without the sun we can't survive, I really want to emphasize that because I got that in my notes. The sun is the most important what in the universe? Yes, most important star, most important energy source. It affects, I mean, if you don't got the sun doing what it's supposed to do, it's going to affect your food, right? It's going to affect your crops, energy. Heat, light. I mean, without these things functioning, 
these things that God has put in the universe. And even with the moon, I mean, the moon, you mean with the gravitational pull and all that, you need the moon doing, the moon has an important part in God's creation. All of this does. So when these things are not functioning properly, people are going to have a hard time or it will be impossible to survive. Brother Mitch, and then Lance, I saw you had another comment. So you, Brother Mitch was saying that darkness can be something that is felt when you find yourself in a dangerous, fearful situation. And I think that goes right in line with Revelation because this, this is God's wrath coming out. And with the Egyptians because God is bringing judgment after judgment after judgment. Uh, and and that, that's, a, that's a good point. That, that, that's an excellent point. Brother Lance and then Gary had something to say. You sure? Okay. Uh, go, go ahead, Brother Gary. Well, maybe and maybe. <laughs> well, you're right. And if you ask me, I lean towards, I lean towards this being apocalyptic. I don't think this is literal here. I think this is Old Testament apocalyptic language. But at the same time, I do think this part of the vision still ties to the big point. So I'm glad you brought that up. So let's say something about that. Let's go back and look at the whole thing here, okay? The big picture. We're talking about God's judgment, right? God's judgment is affecting vegetation. The earth becomes like blood. You're right, Gary, not literal. Not literal. The sea, the sea becomes like blood. Again, not literal. The land waters, the land waters become like blood. Again, not literal. Sun, moon, stars darken. No way that could be literal. You would have wiped out the whole planet. Uh, the whole, everybody. Again, this is Old Testament apocalyptic language here. So this brings us, Gary, to the point. If we look at these things from the big view, and this is how I think this is a good way to study Revelation, what do all these things seem to have in common to you? As you look at them, all four, vegetation, sea, land, water, sun, moon, stars, in the big picture, what do you think God is doing to try to bring these people to repentance with these judgments? What is he affecting in some way? I don't know exactly how he's doing it. I don't have a clue. But what is he affecting in some way? His creation. His creation. I think that's what's going on. I think all y'all said, y'all see it. So y'all are really good Bible students. Y'all see. And that's that's the point, Gary. None of this is literal. I think it's just strong language to emphasize how God is bringing out, bringing about natural calamities. Natural calamities are coming upon the people at this time to try to bring them to repentance. And I'm going to say more about that in just a second. But Brother Don's had his hand up for a while. Go, go ahead, sir.
right. the protection given by a cover, and that is wrong. The sun, the moon, the stars, each time we see one of these nations destroyed, that statement from God. Yep, absolutely. Uh, good, good point, Brother Lance. And then, then Doug, and then I want to say a few other things here. Go ahead. Absolutely. No, that's a good point. Brother Doug, and then I want to say a couple of things here. Uh, question. Is it important to know that all this is a purge this time? Is this a preliminary judgment? Well, I, let me say this, Doug. Don't, don't steal my thunder just yet because I'm going to get to that. But, you're, but, hey, at least you can see it. That's the point. You need to be seeing that like you're seeing it, Doug. Because that, that part of the, of the vision is important. It will come back later and help us. But I'm going to say a lot about that in just a second, too. I'm, I'm encouraged. I was worried about this. I was worried how y'all were going to see this. And y'all are seeing it. You see what's going on here. This is a challenge for a lot of people when it comes to study Revelation. This is why people look at this book and want to stay away from it. Because they want to go through and try to break down every part. And it freaks them out. And rightly so. But when you can just read this and just take a step back and say, what's the point? Now you're enjoying the book. Now you're getting it. Now you're, you're not just messing your mind all up. What God is doing here with these, at least in my understanding, in my view, is he is bringing judgment on, on the earth. He is using natural calamities like he's done in the past and other times, like Don said, to try to bring about repentance. He's causing the people to suffer to try to bring them to repentance. And let me just ask you, can suffering bring people to repentance? Maybe there's somebody here this morning, and it's done that for you before. You were going through a rough time in your life, and I'm not saying God did it to you, but I'm just saying the principle of it. Maybe you were going through a rough time, and in, in that rough moment, you started thinking about God more. You started thinking about your need for God more. Isn't that what happened with the prodigal son? What got him to come back to his senses? It was suffering eating with the pigs. Suffering can do that for people if they let their hearts bring them there. Now, sometimes suffering can take you the opposite direction. I, I know two brothers, two brothers who one is a preacher, you know, one was just a faithful Christian. They were both raised by godly parents. And the preachers has a bunch of children, and one of the children died of a terrible disease. I can't remember what the disease was. But it was, it was a small child died of a terrible disease. And the father, that moment drew him closer to God. And sometimes suffering can do that. It can bring you closer to God. But for the uncle, you know what that situation did for him? It led him to become an atheist. Because he said, well, if there's a God, little children won't, won't go through this. Now, I don't want to get into a whole debate on that right now or discussion. Because that's a rabbit hole we can go down later. But my point is, people respond to suffering different. You can either respond to it the right way or the wrong way. You understand? The father of all people responded to by getting close to God. The uncle allowed that to lead him to atheism. So suffering can either bring you closer to God or draw you further from God. Suffering can make you want to 
repent and come back to God and get, allow him to nurture you and comfort you. Or suffering can make you shake your fist at God and say, God, how could you do this? Or you can't be real or you wouldn't be letting this stuff happen in the first place. Do you, you understand that, right? So, the, so this is what God is doing here. God is bringing about suffering to see what it leads some people to repentance. And obviously, we already know the answer. Did it do it? No, because the empire got wiped out through the providence of God. So, so, so God is trying to give them time. and He's going to use suffering to try to cause these men to turn to him. Now, would you agree that these are some bad cases of suffering here? I mean, some bad judgments? These are bad judgments. You got rivers, the ocean, ships, food sources, all these things being impacted by God, these natural calamities. But if you thought that was bad, you hadn't seen anything yet. Remember verse 13 told us the sound of the next true trumpets offering even more severe judgments than the first four. <laughs> these four are bad, but God said, you ain't seen anything yet. I'm going to make it worse. And again, God's just not being mean to him, is he, at this point, is he? What is he trying to do even with these more severe ones? Trying to bring them, trying to hope they come back to re repent, repent. That's what God is doing here. And so when we're almost out of time here. I want, uh, Lance, you had a comment, and I want to say a couple. You go, okay, all right. So let me say a couple of things here. So I think we're on the same page so far. Gary, did that answer your, does that, that make sense what I was saying, sir? Yeah, the only thing I want to add here is. Yes, sir. What you're saying there, as far as that, and, and we've even seen that, Gary. Remember, we looked at several Old Testament books. We looked at Jesus in Matthew 24, where that language was just common to the Jewish mind. In fact, not only were they familiar with it from a biblical sense, but it was in their secular writings they would use it. It's in the Apocrypha, this kind of sun becoming dark and moon not shedding light. They never took that literal. We struggle with that. We make, because we come from a culture where we literalize everything. But they got it. They understood it just represented judgment. And they could see the pattern here of all these things connect to God's judgment on nature. So, so good point, well taken. Now, I want you to think a little bit about Egypt for just a second. I want you to think about Egypt, because um, I was thinking about this. I'm talking about the time of Moses. And, 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 I'm, and, and Gary, I don't want to make the mistake of trying to mix these two things together too much. But I couldn't, and I just think it's interesting, I couldn't help but think about what God did upon the Egyptians in a literal way in the Old Testament. And we know, we know that was literal, uh, clearly. But do you, can you think of any similarities between the apocalyptic language you see in Revelation and what literally happened to the Egyptians from what we've studied so far? Say it, huh? Yes, <laughs> the hell. That was there, what, literally, right? Yes, the Nile turned into blood. And what happened to the creatures in the, when it, they died? What about the vegetation? Did God impact the vegetation? The locusts came and ate everything up. The vegetation was impacted by the hail. What about the darkness? Did the darkness literally? Absolutely. And then even the cattle, Another food source were killed by flies.
So God, in a literal way then, brought natural calamities upon the Egyptians in an effort to try to get them to straighten up and obey him. Pharaoh wanted to know who God was. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Exodus 5 and verse 2. He wanted to know who God was. God showed him who he was. Literally, <laughs> literal for what was that? For I, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, one more thing I want to say before I close, but Brother Don, so you had to go ahead, sir. In fact, and I did a sermon on this done maybe a year or so ago about against, it's called Against the Gods of Egypt, where every one of those plays, when you study them carefully, was a shot at the false Egyptian gods. It was God was revealing himself as the one true God, which he is. So let me say one more thing here. And, and all of y'all made great comments. I, I really enjoyed this class. I really have. Okay, let's talk about Doug's comment real quick. Several times we're told in this text, in Revelation 8, one-third of something is destroyed. So, hopefully you won't listen to Doug when he gave the answer, but I'm going to ask it again. <laughs> what do you think that symbolizes? Why one-third of everything? Why one-third? What does that symbolize? Because when God does everything, it's too late. These are partial judgments. These are, God is not wiping out the empire completely yet. He's only taken a third. These are not full judgments. God's point here is I'm giving you time to repent. Soon it will be full. That's the seven bowls of wrath. Won't be no one third there. But now it's one third because God says, I'm going to leave you something. I'm giving you time. But soon time is going to be out. It will be out. His people are marked. They're going to be fine either way. Uh, Brother Greg, go ahead, sir. Yes. This is the God's people. He's giving them a glimpse behind the curtain. And, and Greg, that, that leads to the last thing I want to say real quick. From this, Christians were to learn things about God. They were to learn what Jonah was supposed to learn, that God is love. God loves everybody, even the people who are oppressing his people. They were to learn that God's a God of judgment. He's a God of love, but he's also a God of judgment. You know, so often in our culture, we just want to call God love. And he is love, but he's also a God of judgment, too. They also were to learn that God is patient, more patient than they were under the altar, and he's a God of forgiveness, even willing to forgive those who are trying to wipe out his church, and he's a God who's mighty. Rome was a strong empire, maybe the strongest empire the world has ever seen, but God is letting his people know that I'm stronger than them, and you need to stay on my side because we're going to win. So, so far, we got four trumpets. The, two, the next two are more severe. We'll start looking at those on Wednesday. I really appreciate y'all's comments. Thank you so much. 
Um, let's get ready to worship God. Thank you.